0: Some people said, well, there's racism in Canada, but there's no systemic racism in Canada. And to those people, I said, well, you clearly have never read the Indian Act because it reeks of systemic racism. That's the Right Honourable
1: Brian Mulroney, 18th Prime Minister of Canada and our guest on the Akamemut podcast. and welcome to the Akamemuk podcast. I'm your host, Terry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Akamemuk is Cree, for you all persevere, or in other words, let's keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we will discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, with elders and community leaders. And today, we welcome one of Canada's most transformational leaders. Brian Mulroney was Canada's Prime Minister from 1984 to 1993. In that time, he oversaw the negotiation and implementation of the United States-Canada Free Trade Agreement and then the North America Free Trade Agreement. He initiated important environmental reforms, including the acid rain treaty with the United States. He was also at the forefront of attempts to make the Canadian Constitution more inclusive, trying to bring Quebec into the fold through the Meech Lake Accord, and then the Charlottetown Accord. He also led the international fight against apartheid in South Africa. He was Prime Minister during the Oka crisis 30 years ago, which led his government to establish the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples. It made sweeping recommendations on how to restructure the relationship between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples. Welcome, Prime Minister Mulroney, to the Akamemek Podcast.
0: Thank you. Very happy to be with you.
1: Prime Minister, let's talk about this moment that we're in right now, you know this global pandemic we're in right now, and the world is trying to find the balance between the environment, and the economy. Right now, I'm working on a, a project with Prince Charles called the Great Reset, that's looking at solutions for the future for the world. So, in this moment, how do you think we should be addressing the climate crisis domestically and our globally?
0: Yeah, you Terry. Know, even in the even in Canada, an individual is never going to get elected prime minister anymore, unless he has and particularly for the broad middle class in Canada who change governments generally, unless he or she comes out with a splendid program to ensure that the environment, a pristine environment, is passed on to their children and grandchildren, no one's going to get elected prime minister anymore unless he pays top attention Mm -hmm. to the environment. And not all governments or, or parties have done that in the past, but from now on I think it's very evident that nothing's to good is going to happen to them unless they've got that.
1: Prime Minister, I want to move over to uh, the role you played in terms of battling uh, the racist apartheid regime in South Africa and reflecting on that battle to stand up for Mr. Nelson Mandela and the people of South Africa, even against allies like the United States and even Great Britain. How can we use those lessons today, the lessons that you learned in that, in that fight to, to end apartheid? What were some leadership lessons that, that you used and how can we learn from that and, and making Canada and the world a better place?
0: Well, we have a unique set of Canadian values that we call our own and uh, uh, tolerance, decency, respect for one another. And we have to be ready to act upon those uh, when there's a situation internationally that people find troubling and extremely challenging. And uh, so when I came into office, I realized, of course, that uh, Mr. Mandela at that point had been in jail for almost 20 years, I think. And um, it occurred to me that um, nothing had been done since Mr. Diefenbaker all those years. And Mandela was growing old in jail. And chances are he could, he could have died in jail without ever seeing his family uh, or his friends again and so i thought that it was appropriate for canada uh, to uh, take a leadership role if no one else would both in the commonwealth at the united nations and at the g7 and so following meetings with oliver tambo mm-hmm. and bishop uh, tutu in fact bishop tutu when i said to him uh you know we canada's a middle power we're not a superpower What kind of role and influence could we have if we assumed a leadership role here? And Tutu said to me, you know, Prime Minister, Canada is the ideal country to lead because you're a rich, industrialized country. You're a member of the G7, which gives you more influence in dealing with your colleagues than, for example, somebody from Zimbabwe or Botswana. And so I went to my cabinet and I told them that we were going to... uh, now on, have South Africa and and the liberation of Nelson Mandela as a top priority of our foreign policy. Joe Clark was my foreign minister. He agreed 100%, and we we both followed through on that. And lo and behold, after years of fighting and squabbling uh, and action, Mandela was freed. And the first trip that he made to a free parliament in a free country was to Canada to thank Canadians for the Tremendous role they had played in his liberation and in uh, getting rid of uh, of uh, apartheid, that vile, anti-democratic regime of apartheid in South Africa.
1: It's often said that the apartheid system in South Africa was modeled after the Indian Act system, the reserve system here in Canada. We've always talked about how do First Nations now move beyond the Indian Act in 1876? And because we know under that Indian Act, we weren't allowed to leave the reserves without a permit from the Indian agent, We weren't allowed to vote till 1962. Again, John Baker brought in the vote for First Nations people. And as well, uh, we weren't allowed to have access to legal counsel till 1951. All those things under that Indian Act system. And and you recently came out with a 10-point plan for the future of Canada that called for a commitment to plan for the eradication of systemic racism. Uh, This is a quote from your plan. Full Indigenous justice... By the full implementation of the harassment do so, Royal Commission Report on Aboriginal People, which provides many answers. So in light of the apartheid system that was eradicated in South Africa, in light of how we need to move beyond the Indian Act now, how can we use the RCAP report, the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, to help eradicate poverty and the systemic racism and, and that you see now in Canada?
0: Well, when I came out with that statement in the Globe and Mail, some people said, well... You know, there's racism in Canada, but there's no systemic racism in Canada. And to those people, I said, "Well, you clearly have never read the Indian Act, uh, because it it reeks of systemic racism, and it's been uh, it's been like that since the foundation of Canada, really. And we, the uh, Aboriginal peoples, uh, the Indigenous peoples, have lived with this burden uh, for over uh, in Canadian terms, over 153 years, hundreds of years." Prior to that, uh, the indigenous peoples roamed the lands and, and controlled trade and commerce between peoples and, and groups. And all of a sudden, when, when the Europeans came, uh, that all ended. And so my, that's one of the reasons why I appointed uh, the Erasmus-Dusso Royal Commission in 1991 and why I, I was so pleased when I saw the report, which was a very highly impressive report. And I expected that the governments, the Kretzian government, and then the Harper government, and the Trudeau government would, uh, would act upon it. And nothing was done to speak of with regard to the first two governments. Mr. Trudeau did act in, in splitting up the Department of Indian Affairs and to, to make it more coherent and more responsive to indigenous needs. But mm-hmm. the answer to the, your question, Chief, the answer to anybody who asks the question is to be found in the report they 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 sat for years they had like hundreds of meetings they visited hundreds of communities they saw firsthand the challenges that had to be dealt with they produced a brilliant report and it's been largely ignored and you know in the report i've got a copy of of some of the recommendations you know they they advocated a new royal proclamation stating Canada's commitment to new relationship and companion legislation setting out a treaty process and a recognition of Aboriginal nations and governments, recognition of an Aboriginal order of government, replacement of the Federal Department of Indian Affairs, which has been done, creation of an Aboriginal parliament, expansion of the Aboriginal land and resource base, initiatives to address social, education, health, and housing needs, including the training of 10,000 health professionals Mm -hmm. over a 10-year period, establishment of an Aboriginal people's university, so on. Well, look, this this was over 30 years ago, and none of of this has been done. And it all makes sense. And meanwhile, the Canadian government has been in large measure wasting money by by delivering to to programs that were valid under the Indian Act but no longer are today. This is the way, this is the highway to the future for indigenous peoples in Canada, and it's up to the government to get with the program. Let me just tell you one thing on that, Perry, that that I've, I've, I've considered. You know, when a prime minister is called upon to form a government, you know, you give a lot of thought to who your minister of finance is going to be, because it's such a vital portfolio. So you tend to take in your judgment, the very best talent you have and put him in finance, him or her in finance. I think that going forward, a prime minister elected in the near future should look at his very best talent and rather put him or her in finance, Hmm. should put him in charge of Indigenous affairs. Because there there is the challenge to Canada. Nothing uh, in terms of major economic development like pipelines and and so on is going to happen hmm. without a, re- a resolution of this huge, okay. I'll call it a speed bump, for want hmm. of a better word, uh, to on Canadians' path to progress. Nothing's going to happen until you resolve problems relating to the indigenous communities and the, and the environmentalists. So there, there's the challenge. For the future of Canada.
1: From that, Prime Minister, I'll take the, the, the key word would be implementation of all these studies that have been done. Because I think back over the years, you had the Hawthorne Report, Penner Report, the Royal Commission Aboriginal Peoples Report, which you just referenced. Now we have the 94 TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation yep. Commission's Call to Action. And we also have the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Call to Justice. So we have five key reports. Yeah, But I think uh, your call to action would be government's start implementing all those good recommendations therein.
0: Now. now, Yes, now, immediately. I've known known many, over the years, many important and influential uh, Indigenous leaders, many of whom have told me that the Erasmus-Dusso Royal Commission Report is their Bible. The answers to today's challenges for the Indigenous communities and justice for the Aboriginal peoples is to be found. They The answers are to be found in that report. And so the, the answer is, well, let's implement it. Let's get it done. It's there. We don't have to dream up some other solution. They're all there. And I think most of them remain valid even 30 years later.
1: So implementation of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People, that came down in the 90s. And uh, of course, there's always this Section 35, and uh, you're very familiar with Meech Lake in Charlottetown. And in Canada's constitution, section 35 is there, which recognizes existing Aboriginal and treaty rights. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the debate has always been, is that a full box of rights or empty box of rights? And we've said it's a full box. Mm-hmm. And so it references treaty. So on one hand, we say we have our treaty relationship with the crown, which needs to be honored and implemented according to the spirit and intent. And of course, the inherent right to self-determination, self-government of entering into treaties, we exercise that. And then now we've got this UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. So both we're trying to work towards implementation. And that was one of the challenges going forward now in the year 2020, is that we've got our treaty relationship. And now we have this document called the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, which is for all the indigenous peoples throughout the world. And it's the basic um, fundamental rights of uh, indigenous people being recognized. So giving that legal effect, how can, in your experience as prime minister, uh, can implementation of the UN declaration be implemented in Canada as a roadmap to reconciliation in light of section 35 in Canada's constitution?
0: I think the, 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 for Canadians, uh, the road to reconciliation is the Royal Commission on, on Aboriginal rights. Okay. If you can get that done, and let, let me come back to, to, to it just for a bit. I was so concerned about the situation and so determined that we do something. I remember interrupting a cabinet meeting and having Harry Swain, who was the Deputy Minister of Indian Affairs and Northern Development, uh, and, and, and I debate the issue in front of full cabinet out at Meach Lake for an hour, an hour and a half, because Harry was a great proponent of what we're talking about. And, uh, and I wanted to make sure that the, all the cabinet understood the profound need for fundamental change. And so when I decided to do the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Affairs, uh, I consulted with Brian Dixon, who was the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. And I invited Brian Dixon, who had just stepped down, to write the terms of reference. He was from Manitoba. He had been Chief Justice of the Supreme Court for years. He knew the Aboriginal challenges clearly, and he wrote the terms of reference. This is not widely known, but it's true. Brian Dixon, a great man, wrote the terms of reference, and, they, and then the royal commissioners uh, I appointed, and they came up with these brilliant solutions. So what is required here, um, uh, Perry, is this. You're going to have to have a prime minister who's going to say, hey, I'm elected prime minister. I'm here to take the tough decisions, not just the easy stuff in the sunshine. And I'm going to bite the bullet. My government is going to bite the bullet. And on the question of aboriginal affairs, we are going to do A, B, and C as recommended by the Royal Commission. And and that is the way we're going to break the back of this resistance. But you have to have a prime minister who's ready to do it. Much the same way as a prime minister has to take, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau has to take decisions about COVID 19 in the last little while. I had to take the decision to go ahead with free trade and the GST and Nelson Mandela and all of those other matters. That's what a prime minister is supposed to do. He's not elected to get favor in popularity polls, he is elected to provide leadership for Canada. And as Bill Clinton said, One day, leadership is the capacity to look around the corner of history just a little bit. And if the Prime Minister looks around the corner of history just a little bit, he is going to see that unless and until he resolves with his government the challenges confronting the indigenous peoples in Canada today, not very much of significance is going to happen in terms of national economic development.
1: It's a strong statement, and uh, that's a good challenge going forward. To, I always call it closing the gap in terms of quality of life.
0: Do you remember the 1992 Saskatchewan land entitlement settlement? Treaty land entitlement, yes. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, you you did that with Grant Devine. Uh, uh, I, no, I think Roy Romano. No, Romano, Roy Romano, sorry. Yes. Roy. Yeah, I think it was Roy.
1: Yeah, and yeah. that was brought through Harry Swain.
0: Harry Swain was the deputy minister at that time. Exactly right. And uh, that was huge. I, I went up there to do it with my son, Ben. Yeah. He was just a kid, and I wanted him to see a major land settlement ceremony and signatures. So we flew up there. You know, Prime
1: Minister, I want to ask about that, just on that. Four of the policies right now that we're trying to update in Canada are policies that are currently based on termination of rights and title, not recognition of rights and title, and I'm talking about the comprehensive claims policy, the specific claims policy, the additions to reserve policy, and the inherent right to self-government policy. They all need to be fixed and updated to get in line with recognition of rights and title, and uh, that's some of the work going forward. Now, in your experience as Prime Minister, you found a way to satisfy a treaty obligation for land in Saskatchewan. Can you share some thoughts about that and, and about these policies that need fixing as well going forward?
0: Well, it was an, it was an important challenge for Saskatchewan, um, the, Ab- the Aboriginal peoples, the First Nations in Saskatchewan, and it had been talked about for a long time. And uh, so with Harry Swain and others, we got working on it. And I said, I want this matter resolved uh, just as quickly and urgently as possible and it happened that we did that and it was followed by the creation of Nunavut the which is it was another major Aboriginal uh, matter the independent territory of Nunavut, but the Saskatchewan land entitlement deal uh, Was a big one. Uh, it affected the British Columbia agreement It affected other treaties that we were working on in Canada and I think the uh, the determination uh, of, of the government to focus on a major complex problem like that uh, is it the matter, the way to ensure its resolution. But it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. You've got to get take your best people and rather than necessarily put them in finance and external affairs, the kind of glamour portfolios, hmm. you should put them in Aboriginal affairs in Indigenous affairs. And unless and until the First Nations of Canada come to the Prime Minister and say, hey, this has been a great eight or nine or ten years. We've got everything, pretty well everything done. And unless that happens, we should continue to focus as a priority on concerns of First Nations because we cannot allow another 150 years to go by of failed efforts uh, in, uh, on behalf of our uh, our First Nations. We owe them One hell of a lot more than that.
1: That's a strong comment. Good commitments on that. And one of your points in your 10-point plan that you you shared publicly was that we need to grow Canada's population. You know, we're around 40 million right now. We need to grow to 75 million. And, of course, that will involve immigration. You know, so getting the immigrants to to come to Canada and and right across Canada, not just in the big urban centers. You know, it's got to be right across Canada. But at the same time, you have an aging population in Canada, and you have a skilled labor shortage in Canada, and then the fastest demographics in Canada are young First Nations men and women. That's right. And so the need for education and training is going to be key. So yes, immigration on one hand, but investments in human capital, the fastest growing demographic of Canada are young First Nations men and women. So the importance of education and training. What are your thoughts about balancing those two going forward to help rebuild Canada as a country?
0: Well, they are complementary, exactly. For example, uh, when we established the Brian Mulroney Institute for Government down at St. Francis Xavier University in Nova Scotia, the first scholarships, and we have like, I think, 20-odd million dollars in scholarships, but the first ones that we established were were scholarships uh, for young uh, Indigenous leaders uh, and, and young Black leaders in Canada, in Nova Scotia, uh, who can one day, I was asked one day, well, what do you want out of all of this? Because we raised $105 million for the project. And I said, well, all I want out of it is this. Maybe one day, a young uh, Aboriginal leader who got a scholarship, Brian Mulroney's scholarship to St. of X becomes Prime Minister of Canada, and another becomes Premier of Nova Scotia. And I said, if we get both of those, I'll be, I'll be happy. But you know, immigration, all of the dimensions of immigration are helpful to Canada, as as will be the growth and education of our young indigenous communities, which is one of the reasons why the Royal Commission years ago called for the establishment of of an Aboriginal university in Canada. We don't need that so much today, but we need to put more and more funds into scholarships and education possibilities for young indigenous people across Canada and communities. And that, with regard to the the, uh, immigration, you know, we can construct construct an immigration and a tax system which encourages young people who come to Canada to settle outside of the great cities of Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver, for example. And they Mm -hmm. can move north with the proper, uh, proper fiscal advantages and so on. And we have to also, along those lines, make a major statement on our sovereignty in the North and towards the Arctic, because we're falling behind there. And that too is an important component of nation building. So I think we can do all of that. And now mind you, it's going to take resources. Look, look where we found the resources with this calamitous crisis we're going through. We found the resources to deal with it. We have another challenge coming out of this, and it's exactly what we're talking about. And if we found the resources to do one thing, we can find the resources to do another, especially with interest rates so low, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you can get money, a lot of money uh, at very little cost. So there is a tremendous agenda, which I called an agenda for Canadian greatness, mm-hmm. that can be recaptured after COVID-19 by implementing some of the ideas that you and i perry are discussing here today
1: you were the prime minister from 1984 to 1993 and now it's the year 2020. so with everything that's transpired and, and developed in canada and the world with your experience now would you go back and do anything differently
0: oh perry i'm sure i would um you know mistakes were made we all make mistakes but um i think fundamentally what we tried to do has uh, born fruit and, you know, we did unpopular things like the Free Trade Agreement and like the GST. But here we are 30 years later and, and uh, the Kretzian government promised to abolish both of them. And we still have them. And why? Because they're producing such great value uh, for, for Canadians. So on the fundamentals, I think we did we did fine. But, you know, I made mistakes along the way that I could I can't correct now. But uh, if I were there, uh, again, I'd be more prudent in respect of certain things and more cautious about others.
1: Hmm. Okay. Prime Minister, a lot of challenges now, especially in light of COVID 19 and the pandemic that's hitting our, not only Canada, but the world. So, in light of all these challenges, yeah. what
0: gives you hope? Well, what gives me hope is the magnificence of our citizenship and the achievements, the great achievements of Canada. Uh, as a civilized, uh, thoughtful, generous nation, uh, over 153 years, and that's because we've contributed to the defeat of of Nazism, we've contributed to the defeat of communism, the, the implosion of the Soviet Union, and so on, while living intelligent and and uh, as I say, generous lives here in Canada. There are exceptions to that, and we've been talking about some of the very important exceptions today but what gives me hope is the capacity of Canadians uh, when confronted by this kind of a challenge to rise and find the means to solve it and uh, Canada has been a tremendous contributor to world peace and to the United Nations to peacekeeping and so on to the to the crisis in in South Africa to the famine in Ethiopia he said that Canada saved 7 million lives with its leadership in 1984 uh, to that crisis. So having done all of that, if we took our brain power and our talents and our assets and focused on getting some fundamental problems solved here, including the ones we talked about today,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that we can do it. And that's what gives me hope. What gives me hope is the goodness uh, as established by a long history of the Canadian people, and their resilience, and their willingness to take risks uh, on behalf of fairness and generosity.
1: Prime Minister, what a positive and and hopeful note to conclude our podcast on. I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Akhamehameha podcast, and for all you've done for building not only a better country, but a better world for everyone. And that's always what we're trying to do going forward is to build a better country for our children and grandchildren and a better world. And everything we've talked about, if we can get some of those things implemented, uh, there is hope for a bright future for our children and grandchildren. So thanks so much
0: for joining us. Happy to be with you, Perry. Thank you very much.
1: And I want to thank all the people for listening to the Alchemy podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout-out to the Red Dog Singers of the Treaty 4 Territory in southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Bellegarde, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. covered everything pretty much prime minister how did you feel about it
0: thought it was great i'll just leave you with a with an anecdote that happened when i get after i retired and got back to montreal and meal and i are in bed watching the cbc national news at the end of 1993 and peter mansbridge comes on and peter says from now on when you communicate with me at the cbc i want you to write to me at p mansbridge at cbc.ca and I said to Mila, what the hell is that about? She said, well, that's that's the that's the new way that people are gonna communicate through the internet. And I said to her, oh, Jesus, that doesn't have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> all right, okay. Well, good to see you all. You too. Take care,
1: Prime Minister.